This episode is brought to you by the Arvada Center because they're kicking off their summer concert series in June. Relax under the stars at the Arvada Center's outdoor amphitheater and take in acts like Melissa Etheridge, Big Richard, Tower of Power, Preservation Hall Jazz Band, The Spin Doctors, and so much more. Concerts are scheduled for June through September. You can find a whole schedule of events and get your tickets today at arvadacenter.org. That's arvadacenter.org. Today on CityCast Denver. Still looking for a last-minute gift for someone special? How about some magic mushrooms? Because we're living in a fuzzy new gray area of legalization, but maybe not for long. Me and producer Paul Caroli are talking psilocybin with Westward editor Patty Calhoun. Then it's crunch time for the mayor. And some people say Mike Johnston has been deceptive in his rush to house a thousand people before 2024. Today is Tuesday, December 19th. I'm Bree Davies, and here's what Denver's talking about. We're sitting here with uh, one of our favorite returning guests, Westward editor Patty Calhoun. Welcome back, Patty. Thanks so much. Um, Bree, shall we get into the news? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so we're talking mushrooms and uh, <laughs> mushrooms in McCann, as we have it <laughs> listed, which I like. Uh, D.A. Beth McCann. So this this first topic is about, the, well, let's start with you, Patty, with Westward's been doing some interesting reporting on this sort of gray market of mushrooms like it's it's legal but it, people don't know where to get them and then maybe some people are selling them and I, there maybe was a not guy for long also yeah wh- where are we at well no one's technically selling them but right. the question is can you come up with a way to provide them along with other services you are selling and we've been chasing down these gray areas back since the days of the first dispensaries for pot sure which came out hmm. in 2008 and that was a loophole that was shops could become caregivers. Remember that? And that's how the dispensary business started. So we've been watching with the passage of 122, how would people try to figure out how to make money off this, how to provide services before we actually have the laws in place, you know, the regulations, which will be by the end of 2024, probably, even though we passed it last November. So what we're seeing now is there's a lot of microdosing services out there, and they're usually mm-hmm. pretty high end. Counselors who microdose with you, they're charging for their psychological or whatever kind of services they're offering, their personal coaching services, and they happen to provide the psilocybin you need for the microdosing. So that's one way. But then another guy has taken this further to the extent that he is now. Offering a, he has a co-op out of his studio on West 8th Avenue, and his plan is he kind of talks to you about, or presumably other people can too, but he seems to be the only one offering this service. You go in, you talk to him about your health needs, what you're looking for, you pay for that service, the discussion, the education, and then you also, as you leave, get a party favor, which are mushrooms. Right. Well, Well, I talked to Darren. I talked to Darren Lyman. That's who we're talking about because I called the number in the ad in Westward, which I want to talk to you about in a second. But when I talked to Darren, he said the euphemism or the euphemism that he used was support. 
he would use this word support every time we would talk about the various products. And I would ask him like, how do I actually like get mushrooms from you if I want to show up? He said, it's easy. Just show up and you get either this amount of support or you get some uh, micro dosing support or you get, if you want even more support. And he was referring to different amounts of mushrooms, but only using the word support. It was very interesting. <laughs> I think I've, I feel like I've made this comparison before, but it used to be like when you'd walk in record stores sometimes would sell bongs. And you'd have to walk mm -hmm. in and the sign would say, can you say water pipe? Exactly. Like that's how it feels. Thing. Yeah. It's like the language is there. So it's sort of a protection, I guess. Well, that's him, what he to said. To not be a mushroom dealer. He said he just got out of university. He, he was studying how to, to, to join the weed industry and learn the reg he learned the regulations around that right around the time psilocybin was being legalized, at least how it is now. And, um, and this is what he came to. And he thinks it's legal. But I don't know. Patty. Well, no one really knows if it's legal. That's the interesting thing because it's kind of like when we were looking at dispensaries in 2008, we picked up copies of Westward and said, look at this industry in the back. And we hadn't even realized how big dispensaries were getting. And it was because of that decision, court decision that allowed stores to become caregivers. And he is kind of exercising the same loophole. So those they could advertise the dispensaries, uh -huh. even though they were stores technically. Do you remember your first weed ad? Was that a conversation in Westward? Oh, no. I mean, we've been running, you know, pot, urinalysis, get around urinalysis. We've been running head shops. I mean, what is since that, the urinalysis? 70s. Well, like, so, you is know, how you can pass a pee test. How to pass oh, a pee test. Right. So, oh, okay. I mean, if you look back at the Westward ads in 78, we had pass a pee test. We had head shops. So, the... But we just suddenly noticed a lot of dispensaries. That was mm. more of a gray area. Yeah. But let's say faking a pee test is not exactly kosher. Well, and that's what I was thinking. Like if you fake a P test or if you're offering that, like, is that an ad where I could call the number in the same way I called Darren? And then that person might hook me up with some, you know, weed support. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, was it, was that the way the world worked back then? I, 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 I don't know. I genuinely don't remember. I only remember when it was only medical. And so I had friends going to a doc, quote unquote, a doctor being like, my back hurts. And then you got a card. So but, anyway, with Darren, it's really yes. fascinating. And so we saw this ad and we they're like, is it legal? And I, well, we are the editorial department. We're not the ones. It's an interesting story, but we're not the ones to tell you if it's legal or not. Mm -hmm. We're not lawyers. But it's a gray area. And even Beth McCann, who was talking about it, the Denver DA, said she wasn't sure, but it might be worth looking into. But, you know, this is one guy offering support. And I have to say, offering the same kind of support that micro-dosing people, charging a lot of money to, you know, some surprisingly high-end folks around town who I've talked to, you know, they're getting away with it. So I think we will see by the end of the next year fairly rigorous standards on what's support and what isn't, mm -hmm. you know, what constitutes a sale and a legal sale or a legal support and what's a illegal sale. But I think right now, I don't think there is the will in the in Denver to go charge this guy. Mm -hmm. That's interesting to hear. Did you, you guys wrote about Darren. Oh, I mean, we wrote you, about Darren. And you ran I the will, ad, but then you wrote about it. Did you get a response? We admitted, oh my gosh. Well, we know Darren got lots of phone <laughs> calls and all the comments were like, uh, where is this guy asking for a friend? That was the common <laughs> comment. And of course, we did have his address in there. But mm -hmm. he had no problem going public with it. It's not He's not being sneaky. He thinks he is completely legal. I think he wants to be the guy. He mm -hmm. wants to be out in front of this, the face of whatever like commercial mushrooms is. Well, and it feels like if you're going to go that route in a, anywhere, we've had, we're in this legalization process. I think it's kind of like he's going to take his chances. 
I want to be the guy. I don't think I'm going to go to jail for it. Right. And I get, or maybe he'll get a cease and desist. Right. I get emails all the time, as I'm sure you do, like, come on this microdosing a holiday <laughs> in Vancouver. People are really trying to cash in on it now. And this guy is dealing from a very grassroots, bottom line industry. He's not doing high end stuff. And that's but what I find that part to be more. I, that That's endearing for you? Well, it just jibes for me a little bit better because you don't have to have a lot of money to participate in something that is, for some folks, ancestral and cultural. For some people, they've been growing and selling for you. You know what I mean? It kind of feels like how my friends that were weed dealers prior to legalization dealt was, with it. Yeah. And maybe for him, you think, okay, you maybe don't know if it'll work for you. You want to try it. You want some support. <laughs> and then you can decide if you want to go into growing your own, which totally. of course is completely legal. Yeah. Oh, but you can grow your own. difficult. Right. Exactly. So why bother trying until you know whether it's of any use to you? Um, Patty, the future uh, of mushrooms here. You know, we talked about weed a little bit. I feel like if the market had its way, that what consumers would want when it comes to mushrooms is like, you know, single serving packs, like one trip mushroom pack. Yeah, because a lot of times it's about the size. Yeah, are we going to get like there? Like a pre-roll. Yeah, yeah, like a pre-roll. So I, well, we may or may not get there. We would have to have legalization of stores, which we don't have yet. Yeah. And we don't know if that's going to be coming, but it could well be that support becomes legal in a very limited way. Like you could come in and say, I feel depressed. Here's $5. Take your mushroom. I don't know. It yeah. could happen. But I do think there's a, there's certainly a will out there from the people who voted to make it okay to make it accessible. To make it accessible. But the, but then the thing about the, the, like the people for whom this is a tradition, like this is their, their ancestors. This is a practice that, you know, comes from someplace like there's going to be a big difference between the people who want to pay for just a trip and who want to pay for the kind of like skills and experience that come with a, a real good trip sitter, someone who could take you into something. Like, I'm curious about that gap, how that's going to get closed. Well, and that's that's different. The sincerely indigenous working with their own traditions and the frauds doing it yeah. because they can maybe get a, some kind of license. Yeah. That's going to be a division, too, mm -hmm. because what you don't want to have is have indigenous people who truly want to use it for traditional use having to pay a lot of money. Right. To do something right. that is theirs already, you know. Interesting, interesting place we're in. Yeah, we'll see. See what happens. Our next story is one that we really need your perspective on, Patty, because it has to do with politicians and communication and confusion. But Paul, can you just explain what's happening with Mayor Johnston and his housing dashboard? I will do my best okay. because I am <laughs> not immune the to the confusion that abounds yeah. around House 1000 here in these last few weeks before his thousand person deadline, this self-imposed goal that our mayor has set himself. Um, but here's what I think happened. Uh, two weeks ago, nine news reporters noticed a, uh, a big jump on the housing dashboard that the Johnson administration posted. And it seemed to happen right after this big encampment sweep at 21st and Curtis. So they were like, wait a second. If this dashboard is supposed to be tracking people who have had housing for 14 days, why did it just jump after these people were just moved from an encampment? Like 24 hours ago. Like 24 hours ago. Sure. And so Nine News asked the mayor and Denverite followed up and basically it exposed massive confusion within the administration about what exactly we're tracking, what this dashboard shows, and 
what what a deadline like House 1000 even means, basically. I, I think that's what it's done, is it's challenged what this means. Kyle Clark of Nine News says uh, he called the administration's response gaslighting and deception when they were trying to figure out how this dashboard thing got mixed up. But, um, but Patty, do you see deception and gaslighting here? Well, I see massive amounts of confusion because mm-hmm. we were always chasing that 14-day thing. That's what we had understood. That was something the administration had said early on is what they would be tracking on the dashboard. Then all of a sudden they changed. And if you talk to different people off the record, on the record, it sounds more like amazing communication incompetence than a, a, an attempt to deceive because the 14-day thing never made that much sense anyway. And clearly, if you were to keep 14 days, you weren't going to make the deadline. That's beyond. I mean, we are past the 14-day deadline before House 1000 has to hit 1000 on January 1st. So they needed to change it anyway. And frankly, it's not that useful. I think the dashboard as now amended is more useful. It shows who has gone into housing. It shows who stayed in housing. Presumably, it'll show how long they stay in housing. It shows who's gone into permanent housing. It shows who's gone back on the streets. It's much more useful. But we should have come to this before last week when you had to have nine and then right say, this is wrong. And I have to also say, I mean, the the mayor's administration has called us to say, this isn't a sweep. If we're putting people in housing, it's not a sweep. And I'm like, well, send out the Soros for us because that's we're looking at how many people are off the streets, however they get there. So let's not talk about the semantics. But that was happening at the same time this 14-day confusion is coming up. So they need to work on their communications. Yeah, I mean, this is not the first issue. We've had City Council President Stacey Gilmore talk about a lack of transparency. She stepped down from the Homelessness Committee because she had a protest of how they were handling this. She's not the only councilwoman either who's pushed back. Well, and I can see is from her perspective as a council person, she's having to relay that information to her constituents. So if she's not getting it clear, yeah. she's not going to be able to share that with the people that put her in office. So, you know, I see that. Paul, what do you think the problem is here? I feel like there's such an easy solution here. And it is hire a press secretary. If this project is so important, I want, there should be a person like every three days, if there's a sweep happening, give us, give us your story, you know, tell us on your terms, Mayor Johnston, what's happening. You know, who's the one person that's going to be dedicated to figuring it out and presenting the information. So all of us, different news outlets don't have to be publishing slightly different versions of the same story. Put out your thesaurus. Now, of course, you're also going to know press secretaries are out there to pull out their version of the story well, too. Exactly. But at least we'd literally be on the same page. And then when we find things that don't fit within the narrative, we're like, okay, this isn't true. We need to go chase it. Part of the problem is creating this emergency creates the emergency center. And then you have different people assigned to the operation and they're doing the press releases. So often you call them and they, you don't even know who you're talking to. They'll send a statement. Hmm. They do need a public face and someone being responsible for communications on that issue. Yeah, because like, just look at the specifics here. This is from Denver, right? Um, our, our friend Kyle Harris, former Westward reporter, um, writes, leaders of House 1000 in the city were simply wrong and apparently not listening to hosts, data analyst Anthony Rodriguez. He was in charge of the database and tried to communicate that the dashboard didn't relate at all to how long somebody stayed housed. So I think this guy built this dashboard with Microsoft's Power BI and was talking to different people in the mayor's office about what it showed and what they wanted it to show and how it should work. And no one no one's understood. on the same page. My question is this, how much is this impacting the average Denverite 
who who's not checking a dashboard every day or trying to read five different articles about it. They're looking at their street where there was an encampment. Is there one there anymore or not? Yeah, like that's that's really what I think folks are thinking about. Or like, is the person that being helped on the street, like what's really going on? And they're really going to be looking at on January 1st. I think they'll remember this is the promise that was made will they hit it and however the city hits it as long as they're honest about how they hit it we know that it's not going to be in micro communities there's only going to be one open before the end of the year one and that was originally going to be one of the major pillars of this project there'll be more coming online in 2024 but certainly not the number we heard instead there's going to be the reliance on hotels if a thousand people are suddenly housed in hotels getting the services they need are being tracked to see if the services they're getting are really helping, If is it a model for the future? That'll be amazing and great. But let's be honest about it. Yeah. It's extraordinarily difficult to track these things too. I mean, as someone who, who volunteered in some shelters, like to be able to to know where someone is, to what, what their housing outcome is, like it's a real lot of detail that we're asking for that they're promising. That's just, it's just notoriously difficult to do that in this world, in the world of shelters. And I would feel like, homelessness providers know that yeah like it was the is the administration just not listening to them well i don't know i mean they got supercharged with all this money and attention and all this like energy and so like there's going to be some waste uh, as a part of that as well any big operation but i I don't know i mean they they clearly needed a better way to track this maybe this new dashboard is better It, it certainly looks more useful but I don't know. We'll have new problems, I'm sure. Well, listeners, we want to hear from you. Do you feel like there's been progress here at the end of the year after six, Are you seeing five, it? Three I don't months know. of Mayor Johnston? Yeah. Are you seeing it? Are you feeling it? Um, call in. Uh, leave us a voicemail. Send us a text. 720-500-5418. Again, call us in. Let us know how you're feeling about House 1000. 720-500-5418. Patty. It's our Tuesday show. We have one last segment we like to do. Um, This is where we answer uh, listener questions and comments. Um, This week, we got one. I hope you're game to stick around and do this with us. But, Bree, we got a message from listener Jared Walker. Jared writes, Hey there, I wrote a Christmas song about Colorado, and someone on Reddit said I should record it in a studio and send it to local news stations. Unfortunately, the studio isn't feasible, but I figured I'd send it to y'all since you're the closest thing to local news that I listen to regularly. Are we going to hear it? Yeah, we'll hear Excellent. it. Excellent. Yeah. I love Christmas music. Christmas in Colorado sounds just fine to me. It's the halfway point all my family is the perfect place to me. We got those snow-capped mountains and all those Christmas trees. Christmas in Colorado sounds like a plan to me. Green chilies roasting by a roadside fire, tamales steaming up in rows. Rudolph, buddy, why are your eyes starting to match your nose? You don't need to dream of our Christmas toys. There's been a bomb. He traded reindeer for some big bull elk, and they're pulling him along. I don't want to hear the bottom, and she got my two front teeth. I think that I speak for a lot of us rocking. 
no Christmas past So we can have Christmas in Colorado Without a blacked out avalanche First of all, Jared Walker. Jared, you just you threw tamales in there at the top. You're like, Bree's gonna love this, and I do. Yeah, you're correct. Me too. You mentioned one of my favorite holiday dishes, tamales. <laughs> um, this was great. Oh yeah. This feels like honestly, this feels like a tourism anthem that I feel like Colorado should pick up because he kind of talks mm-hmm. about you know it's his halfway point. My family will come to visit. Mm-hmm. For a lot of folks, I think, I mean, my family does it. We go to the mountains for that idyllic winterland experience. Always a white Christmas in Colorado when the mountains are 14,000 feet. Like, <laughs> that's nice. Yeah, you always can. I love this. It's a good, anic- or good observation. It's a great song. We were talking about all the different Colorado Christmas songs there are out there. Like yes. Like Nitty Gritty Dirt Band, Colorado Christmas. I don't know this. Yeah, I know. So, I don't either. Well, they had a whole album, Colorado Christmas. So it's, and of course there were some John Denvers, Did but this Christmas is worth album? adding to this. Colorado Christmas, Nitty Gritty Dirt Band. I'll have to check that out. I love this. I, I think I swear he said Santa's on the slopes and a sled that says Billabong. Yeah. That was like so funny. Oh, wait. I just discovered we wrote 12 original holiday songs by Colorado artists in 2018. So I'll share that with you. I oh, love perfect. it. We'll, we'll put that we in the show notes. Yeah. Can people listen to this anywhere? They can. Jared? Yeah. I'll, I'll put a link to perfect. Jared's SoundCloud. Because you know I would love to send people to the actual artist. Fantastic. Fantastic. Big Head Todd and the Monsters. I'm glad it's Christmas time. So I'll send this to you too. This is going to be fun. This is going to be a fun so day. So nice. I love that. Jared, thank you so much. Also Great song. for validating my love of Christmas music by sending us this original piece that you wrote. It's beautiful. It is beautiful. Thank you for doing that. Um, anyone else out there who's got a beautiful piece of art they want to share with us and, About and Denver, our audience. Colorado, yeah. especially right now at Christmas. Let please please do. Uh, the phone number is 720-500-5418. Again, that's 720-500-5418. Or Denver at citycast.fm. Yes. Yeah. Shoot us your, your art. Yes. So cool. Well, Patty... Free. This is great. Thanks, Paul. See ya. Thanks, Patty. Happy holidays. That's all for today here on CityCast Denver. If you enjoyed this show, why not take a minute to tell Denver District Attorney Beth McCann about us? Rate the show wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe to our morning newsletter and learn more about us at denver.citycast.fm. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more news from around the city. Bye-bye. I'm Bree Davies, and here... (laughs) I forgot what I was saying. Hold on.